The world of agriculture technology is vast and constantly evolving, with new innovations and companies emerging at a rapid pace. At AgTech Media Group, we understand the importance of staying updated and connected in this dynamic industry, and that's why we're thrilled to announce the launch of our new AgTech Company Directory, a comprehensive and user-friendly resource designed to help you navigate the complex landscape of AgTech innovators. More than just a list, it's a curated collection of companies leading the charge in transforming the AgTech sector from startups pioneering new farming methods to established companies adopting cutting-edge technologies. Our directory spans a wide range of leaders dedicated to advancing agriculture through technology. Whether you're a farmer looking for the latest in crop monitoring tools and investors seeking promising ag tech startups or a researcher interested in sustainable farming practices, ag tech directory is designed to cater to your specific needs. You can filter by sector, technology, size, or location to find exactly what you're looking for. To learn more and to claim your company listing, visit agtechcompanies.com. If you are starting a vertical farm and don't know where to begin or which technology would suit your needs, then reach out to the experts at Cultivated. As indoor farm brokers, they help connect you to the right technology and ensure your project is successful. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Visit cultivated.com to learn more. And that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com or click the link in the show notes. We have a TechWorks at CCA program out at the waterfront in Pittsburgh, and then we're in the middle of building MedWorks, which is going to be located in Malvern, Pennsylvania, outside of Philadelphia. And so our school itself, we're very large. We're up to about 16,000, 17,000 students, and our mantra is workforce development. We want students to have skills necessary to either enter the workforce after they graduate, or if they want to go to college, we want to help them through that entire process from start to finish. Welcome to the Vertical Farming Podcast, weekly conversations with fascinating CEOs, founders, and ad tech visionaries. Join us every week as we dive deep into the world of vertical farming with your host, Harry Duran. Vertical Farming Podcast Season 4. Welcome back. First time listeners, if you are looking for a show where we interview fascinating CEOs and founders of the leading vertical farming companies from around the world, then you're in the right place. I'm your host, Harry Duran. In case you missed last episode, we had a great conversation with Rosario Iacono, founder of Cas Vista. Rosario and team are doing some really fascinating work in the field of open source seeds, specifically for the CEA industry, and I was really inspired to have that conversation with him, so make sure you check that out. This week, I speak with Samantha Johnson. She's the Director of Aquaponics Programs at Commonwealth Charter Academy, a top-accredited K-12 public cyber charter school located in Pennsylvania. Samantha is a highly skilled and student-focused leader who possesses a strong commitment to the development of her students and her staff through differentiated, innovative, and individualized learning experiences. And in this episode, we talk about the work she's doing educating young men and women on the ag tech industry, specifically through the aquaponics program at CCA. She talks about the partnerships CCA has had with AeroFarms and Vertical Harvest and the goals they're striving to achieve together. Samantha also speaks to the importance she places on preparing her students for the professional world and the challenges they are likely to face in the vertical farming space. And finally, Samantha discusses what continues to motivate and drive her throughout her teaching and vertical farming journey. Very, very inspirational conversation with Samantha. I'm really inspired by the work that she's doing at CCA, and I know you will be as well. 
This episode is brought to you by Freight Farms. Freight Farms manufactures and sells the leading vertical hydroponic container farm, the Greenery S. Built inside a 40-foot shipping container, the Greenery S uses innovative climate control technology paired with an IoT app called Farmhand to enable anyone to grow fresh food anywhere in the world. Visit FreightFarms.com forward slash Vertical Farming Podcast to learn more. This episode is brought to you by the Global Vertical Farming Show, taking place December 1st and December 2nd online. It's a trailblazing global event bringing together the complete vertical farming value chain to explore the market, introduce brands, and make new connections. Learn more at verticalfarmingshow.com. Okay, without further ado, let's get into this conversation with Samantha. So Samantha Johnson, Director of AgWorks at CCA, thank you for joining me on the Vertical Farming Podcast. Thank you for having me. So uh, I'm curious, you have a, a long background in teaching, I've noticed, and I'm wondering uh, what was the earliest recollection you have of wanting to become a teacher? Probably elementary school. Okay. I just, I've always liked, I hate saying being being the one called on in school. And so I wasn't necessarily the teacher's pet. I was that student that the teacher made the teacher's pet because I would act up so much that they just would assign me to do random tasks. And those always helped other students. And then as I matriculated through school, I was very much into soccer and tennis, and I joined you know, Tennis for Quick Kids, where I could help instruct younger kids. And just, I really loved science, and it just seemed to be a good meld of the two when I went to college. And did you find that's something that you were drawn to, this idea of like teaching and helping and instructing others? Absolutely. It just, I've always really liked when I'm trying to explain something to a student that they never understood the concept, they didn't get it, or they hated the subject altogether. And I, I really enjoyed getting to know the student as a person and then trying to figure out how to correlate what I was instructing in science to something that they actually liked to do, uh, which could be a huge stretch depending on what student you're trying to talk with. Because yeah, kids, science and math go hand in hand, and not everybody likes those two subjects. Do you have uh, teachers you recall from when you were in school that, that stood out to you? It feels like everyone's got one or two that they remember that were like really hands-on or really helpful for them. Yes, and I'm still in contact with him. Jay Vasellis, shout out to Jay Vasellis from Red Lion High School. Um, he's since retired and ser- even served, I think, a few years on the school board, but he was probably the most impactful teacher that I've ever had. What was it specifically about his teaching style? He was hilarious. He taught social studies, and as a science math nerd, I was the opposite. I didn't care about social studies. And he would just do really funny things in class that were goofy to me, and I just wound up paying more attention because he would walk over to the projector and, you know, try to pull it down and pretend like it wasn't working and have a a fake temper tantrum and ask a student to come up, well, here, you pull it down. Okay, well, here, read the projector, you know, read to the class what that is. And he just, he tried his best to make learning as fun as he possibly could. It's so interesting because experiences and teachers like that definitely stand out. And with so many topics that at that age, you may feel like mundane or, or not that interesting. And so it's, it's really interesting when you have someone who cares that much about the students and, and wants to make an impression on them. And, and that's, I always applaud the teaching profession because it's just really one of the unsung you know, great professions that have such a close connection to kids at an age when they're really impressionable. So I think um, definitely more needs to be done in that area. Yeah, it would be if more teachers just were a little bit goofier, yeah. <laughs> that's my, my best advice I could give to pretty much any educator because their heart is always in it 
There's just, in every industry, a lot of rules and regulations. And teaching, of course, you're working around kids. It makes sense that there's a lot of rules. But sometimes you just got to figure out a way to have fun in between the rules and really make it engaging and interesting for the kids. Otherwise, you're just, you know, spending the whole day lecturing and that's never any fun. Yeah. And that's when they start droning off. And (laughs) I can't even imagine what it's like nowadays with all the competition from um, cell phones and iPhones in the classroom which I grew, I was born in 1970. So that that definitely wasn't around when I was in school. And I can't imagine how teachers could compete with that. Oh, and we are a unique school in a unique space because we are, we're a public school. And in Pennsylvania, it allows this, the laws allow for you to be a public cyber charter school, um, which sounds very odd, but it, it basically means that we follow all the same regulations as any other public school does, but we teach everything online. And so when you talk about students that, you know, are attached to their cell phones or their tablets, we can try to use that just overall exuberance they have for technology to really integrate different types of learning for them, which, of course, is a challenge because they're at home. But we've been doing it for so long that even now with the pandemic, it seems like a really good avenue for so many families that never even consider trying to learn from home. What do you think has been the biggest challenge as we're we're Timestamping this is August 2021, so we're probably coming up on almost two years of, of being through that. And I'm, I'm just wondering, as it coming from the perspective of a teacher, what that the past year and a half has been like. For us, we were prepared more so than I think most schools across the country, just because we are already were online. So we already had you know a company that we partner with to ship curriculum and laptops, and every student receives the same materials. So that inequity of you know, that family that's in poverty that doesn't have internet at home versus the other family that has a, you know, a brand new MacBook. How do you do that as a brick and mortar teacher, a traditional teacher? You know, I, those are really heroes for all of COVID. Whereas at our school, because we already had a little over 10,000 students before the pandemic, we close to doubled in size because of the pandemic. Wow. But my program in particular, I run a farm basically, and I run an indoor farm. And I rely on students to be my literal unpaid workers where (laughs) your payment is in produce and in high school, active credit, which is my ongoing joke with them. But we really had to pivot because of the pandemic, because we, you know, students weren't permitted in the building. So for us being, you know, I was fortunate as a teacher, my staff, though, are non-educational staff. They're, you know, they're all agricultural based staff. So I'm like, hey, guys, here's how you use an iPad. This is how you use Zoom. Let's log into our system and kind of get them familiar with it because we had to instruct everything online and still be able to provide a similar experience but move pretty much from about 90% of all in-person learning to online. Wow. I imagine there's a, a skill set that's acquired through the use of these tools that's going to be incredibly valuable for these students as they get older and they start moving into jobs. And with the trend being a big portion of companies forced to test out the remote working model <laughs> and then realizing that the you know their employees actually like it and they prefer not having two hour commutes and and so it's interesting to see how what the work you're doing with the students may in fact be making them better prepared to have uh, you know jobs that are more remote in nature I've worked with interns uh, that went through my program and have graduated some entered the workforce some went on to college and I'm still in contact with a lot of them. And that's exactly what they reported was, I'm really happy I went through this school because 
when it hit, I could help my friends, I could help my family, show them how to use breakout rooms and different platforms, you know, and even assist some of my teachers, professors in college on how to use this. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of smiling and laughing and going, see, you know, I put you in front of a camera to teach an elementary class. That's a good skill set now that you can bring forth after you've graduated. So it, it was a really terrible reason behind them needing to use that skill set. But overall, they've been really helpful out in the community being a resource to other people on how to use different types of tools and technology. Yeah, it's really interesting, like the the trends that have happened or the pervasiveness of tools, like almost everyone knows what Zoom is now, <laughs> thanks, thanks to the pandemic. And the other thing that I thought was interesting is this idea of QR codes now, because for a while when you went to a restaurant, that's all you could do. So now in the podcast world, people are now using that as a promotional tool more now because it's they're more pervasive and, and people actually understand what they are. So it's, it's funny how usage and, and people's habits and how they use technology start to change out of the need to do that during the pandemic. It's funny that you mentioned QR codes, and I'm sure my leadership team that's going to listen to this later will be laughing about that because uh, when we first launched AgWorks, I was really into QR codes. I'm like, we need to put QR codes all over the facility. I want everyone to come in. You know, if they have their cell phone, they can, you know, launch an FAQ about, you know, the bananas we have or the coffee plant. You know, they can learn a little bit more about it. And they were all looking at me going, no one knows how to use a QR code. And then when your iPhone, when they changed over that technology where you didn't need an app for a QR code, you could just bring up the picture. I'm all excited. And sure enough, you know, having families come through, they're like, oh, wait, how do you use a QR code? (laughs) And I'm like, oh, they were right. Not everyone knows how to do this. But to your point, now that our building's back open, they can come through and they're sure enough, they're bringing their phones out and scanning different things. So again, another pro of some of just the craziness that's gone on over the last year and a half. Yeah, they see the symbol and they immediately like know what that is. So that's, that's good. So talk to me a little bit about Commonwealth and for those that might not be familiar with the organization. Um, so Commonwealth Charter Academy is a public cyber charter school located in Pennsylvania. We have numerous buildings across the state because although we're a cyber school, we very much understand that some learners learn best in person or even in a blended model. And so although we don't teach specifically from our buildings, students still have the opportunity to come in. They can meet their teachers. They can participate in programs like mine. I'm AgWorks at CCA. I have a counterpart in Pittsburgh. I'm located in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania is where my physical facility is. Okay. We have a TechWorks at CCA program out at the waterfront in Pittsburgh, and then we're in the middle of building MedWorks, which is going to be located in Malvern, Pennsylvania, outside of Philadelphia. And so our school itself, we're very large. We're up to about 16,000, 17,000 students, and our mantra is workforce development. We want students to have skills necessary to either enter the workforce after they graduate, or if they want to go to college, we want to help them through that entire process from start to finish. And we really do start in kindergarten. Oh, wow. My program is is one of those that we're like, hey, come on in, play around, check out some really cool ag tools. We do aquaponics, aeroponics, and hydroponics, but we also do things like embryology. We do ag on the run where we visit local farmers and they can talk to them about you know their tea farming business, their equestrian business. So we, we, again, we try to integrate in agriculture, in my program in particular, as much knowledge as we can into the curriculum, but also just having fun opportunities for kids to learn about agriculture. 
Talk to me about your personal journey and awareness of hydroponics, aeroponics, vertical, all things vertical farming. So I really started learning more about vertical farming probably around 2010 when I was still a, a master teacher at our school. It was a really fun way that when I taught eighth grade science, I could really introduce a lot of different topics to students that way. And it was mainly hydroponics. Aquaponics came a little bit later along with aeroponics. And again, it's one of those features that when you're a teacher, you always try to have different tools you can grab to help integrate different standards. Sure. And aquaponics became one of those ideals that you really could refer back to starting in the fall all the way through the spring. And students really liked it. And so as an organization, we were moving from one building to another because we were growing so quickly. And the building we purchased was right across the street from Pennsylvania's Farm Show building. And we were diagonal from the Department of Agriculture. And the building itself had a lot of glass. So it, it kind of looked like a greenhouse in some areas in the building. And our administration, you know, the top three fields in Pennsylvania in need of workers when they graduate are agriculture, medical, and technology. And they're like, hey, this looks like a greenhouse. I wonder what we could do in this space. And then it just, it grew from there. And so we did a, a very large installation for aquaponics and felt, okay, you know, there's really not a lot of aquaponic jobs when you graduate, whereas hydroponics and aeroponics, they have a few more options. So let's try and do all three. And so we have multiple types of machines for students to learn on. I work with outside organizations. They review the SOPs or standard operating procedures that we've developed. So that way I know like, hey, if I'm sending you a student, you can rest assured that they know the basics. They know basic food safety. They know HASCOM. They have soft skills. They can run a hose. They can get dirty and not, you know, fidget about being a little bit dirty. <laughs> and so we're, my job is really to help help outside businesses know like, hey, you should feel secure if you see AgWorks at CCA on a resume that I'm sending you a student with some pretty solid foundational skills. How much of it was a learning curve for you if you just started out in one of those to become proficient or start to work with partners that had the expertise to build that program out? I feel like everyone probably tells you this. <laughs> it was a very big learning curve for me. Although I was familiar with aquaponics, hydroponics, aeroponics, when you're working with very large tanks and not kind of a small tabletop tank, when you're working with biotechnology type spaces, we do tissue culture and we have a genetics lab here as well. So it, it was one of those, wow, it, it's going to take a village. I am not going to be able to master this as quickly as I need to to start onboarding students. And so I, I developed a very good team that helps to support programs. And that kind of diversity and understanding has really helped our program grow uh, because I can really understand aquaponics. But, you know, when our UV filters, you know, would short out at the same time a pump would, it's one of those, okay, I can handle the UV filter. I've never taken a pump apart before, though. Can someone snag the pump? We got to get it up and running here really quick. It was great to be able to rely on a team that knew some of the more mechanical pieces whereas I was bringing more content knowledge when it came to the science background to it. So again, it, it took a village to really grow it, and I can't speak highly enough of my team and how great they were with you know, helping us troubleshoot, especially after that first year. If I remember correctly, you have a background in biology as well, right? 
I do. I do. And that's been very helpful because when you talk about installing LED lights, choosing pumps, uh, flow rates for tanks, you know, all of the aquaculture associated with growing, that was an easy transition. It was more of, okay, well, I have a whole team that's turning and looking at me going, hmm, we just bought a new microgreen station and it's, you know, four times as big as our original one. How do we operate that, Sam? And, you know, I'm, I'm sneaking over to grab the manual, like, okay. I know the basics of how to make sure that the food it produces is good, but I've not used this giant machine before. I'm used to doing the trays, so let me let me look at that first. I'll get back to you tomorrow. <laughs> That's interesting. Is the all the technology and equipment you use, is that homegrown, or do you work with partners for that? We work with partners. So as an example, we have two Rotogrow machines in our facility to demonstrate hydroponics. We're working with Aero Farms to get one of their units installed in our facility. And so we do really pride ourselves in trying to coordinate with outside organizations, primarily because, you know, I want to be able to send them students after they graduate. There's there's a pretty big gap in workforce that know really anything about vertical farming. So for me to be able to send you a kid that understands LED lights and light spectrums and recipes for plants, I'm able to do that. But I also understand that, okay, AeroFarm's needs are probably going to be significantly different than the Bowery. And so you really need to talk to them and make sure that they are reviewing what it is you're instructing for the workforce development piece. So you are sending them authentic workers um, that are hopefully also reducing some of their costs in training and onboarding. Have you had enough cycles to see the benefits or get feedback from the likes of Airforms, Bowery's, Rotogrow as to the caliber of the students you're sending over? So the two biggest groups we've been working with right now are Aero Farms and Vertical Harvest. Okay. Because, unfortunately, because of COVID, we haven't had students in our facility for a little over a year. Now, this fall, we're really excited. Actually, probably, let's see, it's the August 17th. So we start school right after Labor Day. So we'll be able to get students back into the lab system. But we haven't had that complete cycle yet of students that we've been able to send off. But we are tracking them after they graduate, mainly to get their feedback. You know, what have you learned in our program? Are you willing to come back and speak to our kids about your experiences, good and bad? What helped you? What didn't help you? But as far as those specific businesses that is in the plans, it was just delayed because of COVID. And that's Vertical Harvest out of Jackson? Yes. Yes. I've had uh, the founders on and folks from Aeroforms as well. So those have been really good conversations. I'm curious how students think about the program in terms of how it's promoted, how you recruit or how it's sold to them as something that gets them excited about participating. So we are a, a unique school. We're a very innovative school and we do have a lot of kids with diverse needs and a diverse background. And so when we introduce the program to students, I say choose your own adventure within reason. For example, you know, I've had actually numerous students go through and say, hey, can we put piranha in your tank? (laughs) Technically, yes, but no, we're not going to do that. And so, and then I had another student come through and he actually swore when he came in because he looked down at our system and he was so overwhelmed that he blurted out a swear word. That's funny. And I'm, you know, staring at him going, okay, teacher hat, (laughs) I got to put that on. And 
Let's chat about that first because, you know, when you're working in the system, it's professional development. You need to be a professional when you come into the space. So I had to have the whole soft skill conversation with that student at the start. Interesting. But then, you know, we have so much to offer in terms of types of growing, but also types of technology, marketing. You know, there's so much available to students that it really is conversational. What do you want to do? What do you like? What don't you like? A lot of kids tell me, I don't even know which I say great because we do field trips, we have activity days, we do full-blown internships with students. So it's all a matter of just getting started and seeing what it is that you like or don't like to do. I'm very upfront with students and I tell them, (laughs) no one likes to clean. And you can tell me you don't like to clean, but you're cleaning. So there's some give and take there, but it's really about being upfront with the students to say, you know, if you wanna use our 3D printers, you can, but you got to go clean a tank first before you go and get to use some of these other pieces of technology that help to support the system. Other kids will tell me, I hate technology, which is always funny to me because I'm like, we're a cyber school. But I get it. You know, you're, <laughs> yeah. you don't want to do coding, for example. You know, when you say technology, there's all sorts available. And then, again, I try to talk to them and say, well, maybe you don't like working the technology, but maybe you want to be in the room that I'm in, our green screen room. Maybe you're very articulate. Your pacing with your speech is on point. Do you want to be a part of one of our online series? We have a CCA Works YouTube channel that we use to help promote different components in the lab. We put instructional videos on there, tutorials on there. We even do fun things like um, we're going to be doing a series here shortly that will be released where we read agricultural-based children's books. So, you know, hey, do you want to come in and read a children's book? You have to do funny voices. You can dress up, you know all that kind of a thing. But again, it's really up to what the student really likes to do and if they want to get credit for it in high school or not, because credit is associated with hours and some of our students physically can't travel here all the time. So it it becomes a little bit more challenging to meet their needs, which I will mention (laughs) that we do have a mobile aquaponics classroom that I do send all across the state because if that student can't physically come to me, I can come to them. It just depends on, again, what it is they want to do. Because if they tell me, well, I don't like fish and I don't really like plants, but I, I want to do more you know, marketing type work, well, then I probably won't deploy the mobile lab to you. But I will execute different types of resources we have so you can still explore that just in a different capacity. It seems like the, I could see someone coming out of the program with a, a major in agriculture with a minor in improv. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and we, if you have a chance to check out any of our videos on YouTube, it really does make you smile to see students really talking about something that they really care about. There's a student that is a graduate. She was an intern with AgWorks, and she built an automatic seeder for me. And it was solar-powered. It had, you know, really cool wheels that, it you know, ran across our media beds and, you know, was able to literally seed out different types of seeds. It had a mechanical arm. And I remember laughing with her about this machine that she had built me that I could never do myself. And I'm looking at her going, hey, you know, there you're, you know, are you looking for the next level of a challenge? And, and she's like, oh, you know, I'm always looking to try something new and something different. I'm like, hey, they're doing a TEDx youth event in Lancaster. You should apply to that. And she kind of looked to me and went, I have to speak in front of, you know, a huge group of people. I'm like, you can do it. It's going to be totally awesome because she, you know, very good kid. And she applied and was able to present on her machine that she had created. And, and again, it's those conversations that you have with kids that 
you're trying to open their eyes to different things that are available to them that they just would have never considered otherwise. Yeah, and sometimes they just need that slight nudge outside of their comfort zone. And I will nudge them right into a tank. (laughs) (laughs) And it's the combination of skills that becomes really powerful because if she she already had the technical skills and the ability to inventive skills or whatever it was to put that piece of hardware together and then coupled with the ability to now speak about what she did, that's that's pretty powerful. And I, and I think just getting them over that hump of nobody likes speaking in public. I know it was terrifying for me when I first got started. So I think it's it's a valuable skill set. And I think mixing those up with the students, I imagine it just makes them that much more attractive for employers in the future. Absolutely. They know we start out, you know, I joke, <laughs> I joke with you to say, you know, I start out letting them know no matter what, you're going to have to clean a tank, which is true. All roads lead to the tank cleaning. <laughs> All roads lead to the tanks. You got to wipe, you got to keep everything clean. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I want to give them skills that they can use when they graduate. And there are some basic ones that everybody needs to know. You know, you got to show up on time. You have to show up appropriately dressed in an ag facility. You hair back. You're not wearing jewelry. That kind of just very basic skills. But I do let them know, you know, hey, you're going to work hard, but it's also a safe space for you. If you fail, that's okay. You're going to learn through failure. And you're also going to observe all of the ag work staff with a lot of success, but also with a lot of failure. We do a lot of goofy things sometimes, and things break. We think we fix it. We didn't fix it correctly. We have the students there watching us do it because we want them to learn as well. And, you know, you walk away and you forget to, you know, tie a rope down to a machine, and then, you know, one of the arms pops out, and then you have water all over the floor. And so it's, it's one of those, hey, guys, it's okay to fail in our space, but you're learning while you're doing it. So that way, again, when you graduate and I send you to an employer, you know, if, if you turn a ball valve a little bit too much and you shut the water off to an NFT, everything's going to die. And you know what? That really stinks. That's okay. Let's talk about what happened. Let's be able to move on, though. Now you know not to do that again. And now you know if you get employed by another grower, you know how a ball valve works. So like those kind of things, we, we try to joke around with the kids so they know like this is a safe space for you to learn. And you got to learn. You're going to work really hard. But hopefully the payoff there is, again, that your resume works its way up a little bit in a pile of people that are applying for a job. Yeah, it's like a, something a previous manager once told me that uh... – like there's no such he didn't what he said was you could say I don't know if he asked you a question because you know sometimes you feel pressure because your manager is asking you like you have to have the answer but I think he created that safe space to say I don't know the answer (laughs) and it was okay and he was like okay let's figure it out together and then the other one was um, this idea of like making a mistake the first time you make it you didn't know any better or you know no one ever told you so it just makes sense that you would know how to do that or ended up doing it wrong but then it's when you repeat the same mistake he's like that's when you know people start to notice and it's it's obvious that you're not learning the lesson. So I think that sounds like that's some of the things you're covering as well. It definitely is. And one of the things that really shines through with, with that whole, you know, you, you want to learn to not do it again. <laughs> we do a lot of repetitive work in the space. And I always smile when I see students, you know, it, when you're seating out in Rockwell, you know, you have a, a vat, you have, you know, 200 wells that you're trying to put a teeny tiny seat in. And after a while, you know, it's not engaging. It's not like a video game that they're playing that they're really into. You're literally sitting there for 45 minutes, just one at a time, one at a time. And so it's it's always funny to watch their reaction after, you know, that goes on the seating rack for a week. 
and we're like, hey, it's time to transplant. Ooh, like you really messed that up. <laughs> you maybe have, you know, 40 that you can transplant. And now, hey, in six weeks, you're going to have to tell a chef why you didn't make harvest because you weren't paying close enough attention <laughs> with a, what we would perceive as a menial task. And talking then to students, you know, there are automatic seeders that exist out there, but you need to know how to manually do it first before you can use some of the more advanced equipment. So it's, again, just one of those funny, you just kind of smile and go, yep, I'm happy this happened here because you'll, you won't do it again, but now you got to tell a chef here in six weeks and that's never fun why you're not able to make delivery. Do you see the, the range of, of interests in people who, or students who start the program? Are there folks who, you know, be happy working at one of these companies or do you have a mix of students that have an entrepreneurial bent and are thinking of like starting their own container farm or, or something of that nature? They really come from all different backgrounds. Probably now would be a good time to mention you know, with, with Vertical Harvest, for those that didn't get to listen to the previous podcast, you know, one of their core foundation foundational thought processes is that they employ other abled individuals. Yes. And our student population at our school, we have a high instance of students that need related services. They have an IEP, their special needs, they have a 504, they may have a physical disability of some kind. And that can really play with your head in a lot of ways in your just emotional spectrum. It makes you sometimes feel that you're not as capable as another person. And one of the biggest joys that I have is seeing that thought process really unwind itself in the lab because they're able to show just as much success as their other general education students. So for me, I'm like, I'm putting you along, alongside one another. You're going to learn from one another. You're going to work with each other. You know, you're going to count on one another. And yes, there you do need to communicate with each other because it's, it's kids, you know, it's students. But overall, it, it's a very enlightening moment when you actually see them successful in the space and seeing that, hey, yeah, like you can do this. And guess what? There is an employer that will employ you at the end of that process. Again, you gotta you gotta do everything that you're required to do. You gotta follow the rules, but at the end of the day, there are employers that will open their arms to having you come and work there. Yeah, and I just want to reiterate what what a great thing the folks at uh, Vertical Harvest are doing. And I interviewed Nona Nona Yehia and uh, Carolyn Croft Este, and those are the co-founders. And we that was episode thirty. I was just looking it up here, thirty-two. So for the listener, if you want to go back and, and see a little bit more about their story, I think what they're doing is, is really amazing. I'm just, I was glad I was able to highlight their efforts. How has vertical farming changed since you started the program? It, I mean, I've, the show's been around for now almost a year and a half, and it's been amazing for me because I focus on origin stories and, and I learn how a lot of these companies got started. And I'm wondering what it's been like from your perspective, what you're seeing and, and how that's changed uh, the curriculum, if at all. I feel like this industry, vertical farming industry, changes just a mile a minute. So when we got all of our initial tools and technology, we did our initial installation, we just kind of sat back and you, know, you pat yourself on the back going, yes, I have all of the best types of tools in here. We're all ready to go and learn and we're on the cutting edge. And one of our biggest challenges is remaining on the cutting edge, getting the newest, the best pieces of equipment in, and again, training ourselves on how to use them so we can train students. 
And it is one of those areas where when I look out into the system, even looking at something as simple as our LED lights, you know, we have Lumagrow was our provider and we had their boxed lights. That company has now been absorbed by another company who offers different types of light spectrums. You know, of course, it uses different wattage. We have solar panels that we use to 100% power the lab, which is very helpful from an economic standpoint and a sustainability standpoint. But even our solar panels, if you, there's newer ones that are available out there. And so it's one of those just constant requirements for me as the director of the program. I need to you know, listen to podcasts like yours. I need to constantly do different types of investigations. Hey, what are you coming out with? You know, is it Gen 1? Is it something that I want to trial and give you feedback on, almost like an R&D situation? Or, you know, hey, we have a few of those units now that we're trying out in our system. Let's pivot now and get a generation four of something so we know all the kinks have already been worked out. So it's an interesting process for us because we can be a learning ground for certain things. But at the end of the day, anything that we do install, we want to make sure that our students, anything they're learning can still be applied to an industry within Pennsylvania. Do you see a trend in awareness or interest from students signing up for the program or expressing an interest in the program? I do, mainly because vertical farming is a sustainable form of agriculture. And when you used to say those kind of terms to kids, they'd be like, okay, whatever. They liked the word sustainable, but they really had no understanding of, you know, it uses 90 to 95% less water, that we do have those solar panels on our roofs to help, you know, mitigate cost. They just didn't really understand what it was. And so a lot of our marketing that we did internally to students was explaining it. This is what aquaponics is. This is hydroponics. This is aeroponics. And we'd have to scaffold that because we're marketing to kindergartners, we're marketing to 12th graders, and we were even, you know, we even market to college college and university students because they can have internships in the system too. So it was really entertaining to me to try to get the word out. You know, after a while you become that broken record giving that elevator speech over and over and over again. But to your point, that has changed pretty significantly in Pennsylvania. The PA Farm Bill allowed for more funding for a lot of farmers. So when they come through, you know, Pennsylvania Farm Show and they see our aquaponic mobile lab, they're knowledgeable about what it is we're doing to the point that they go, hey, I want to convert a certain area on my farm and I want to do aquaponics. Do you do installations? And I go, no, you're not an installer, but we are a trainer. So if you have time and you want to do, you know, you want to volunteer in AgWorks, you're more than welcome to. You're working with students, though, just FYI. But there's not as much, hey, this is what it is and this is how we do it. It's more of, I really love this concept. How can I make it come to life? Have you connected with the team at Fifth Season Fresh? I have not. I have reached out to them and so has my counterpart out in TechWorks. But again, I'm, I'm assuming with all the craziness that is COVID that it's hard to even get in to tour some of those facilities because they're trying to keep everything as locked down as possible. But I did see that they came on here. And so I, I smiled really big and went, hey, this would be really great if we made our way out there. And I, I even think that our lieutenant governor, I think they're from the same town. And so he's a big proponent for agriculture and for farms. So it was, again, one of those, hmm, I'm going to have to try and figure out a way to go out there for a visit. Yeah. We can figure out a way to, con- to connect you, you guys. Is there anyone out there that, uh, given that this is a platform that um, you know gets a, a pretty decent reach, is, are there is there a wish list of folks you want to work with or people you have an eye on to partner with at some point? 
So that and that's a that's a fantastic question. My biggest one was vertical harvest because we have a little over 20% of our students do have IEPs. And they're in a very important population for me in particular. And when I learned about them, I went, oh wow, I really need I really need to combine our efforts here and figure out if what we're doing here aligns with what they're doing. And luckily, of course, it did. Seems like such a perfect match. And because they're building a facility in Philadelphia, they're looking for one in Harrisburg. It was also, again, just that whole, I can start training them for you now. And then by the time your facility is built, huh, it's, you know, one of those bring it on references where you, you know, hey, I have the, <laughs> I have the cheerleading squad and here, championship, here you go. <laughs> and then Aero Farmers was another, another big one. But we are, we're always looking for different partners that we can work with. Again, we do invite them to trial their, you know, if they're an inventor of some kind, if they have a new piece of machinery, we do invite them to reach out because if we have space in our facility, our students are always looking to learn, to tinker, to provide feedback. And again, that's the whole mantra of it's okay to fail. When it's something that's first generation, yep, there's a lot of break fix that goes along with that. Even sometimes the manuals, just you're trying to to follow the manual that the company created and it is a challenge. So even providing that kind of rudimentary feedback is always good. But we also try to reach out to other ag-based partners as well. Example would be Cargill. You know, we just met with them about two weeks ago trying to figure out, okay, well, how could we possibly partner together? So there's a lot of really good avenues that are available in our program because, again, we're, we're helping to train them for you. So, hey, can you give us some feedback? Do you want to partner? All we're asking for is that when you see CCA on their resume, you're not looking at it going, ah, you know, throw that in the trash. You know, you just want to kind of give it a deeper glance, you know, maybe make its way up to the top of the pile. That's interesting. It seems like there was some intention put into the creation of the website because it's really interactive and it's really colorful and it's really eye-catching. And, and I'm wondering if that you had a hand in that or if that was just an overall strategy that the team worked on. Oh, so I did have a hand in that. Okay. Uh, we're also in the midst now of building even another website, a brand new website that has even more interaction to it. So I know I keep mentioning students with special needs, but we want to have a virtual sensory room, one that incorporates you know, the sounds of our pumps or the fans in the lab, live streams that we do You know, when we hatch chickens. I call them my emotional support chickens. <laughs> but we have a live stream camera on there, and kids just, you know, they love to watch it. It's soothing. So you know, that website, it's your first stop that we send to families to say, hey, this is our program. Here's kind of an overview. Click the button, schedule a tour, come on in, check us out. And then it's now to the point that we're ready to rebuild that from scratch and offer a little bit more because so many other educational institutions are are starting to get more into aquaponics. And their struggle is, how do we find curriculum for this? It's not an easy way to find, you know, next generation science standard curriculum. So we also want to become a resource for other schools that are saying, hey, we really want to try this out. You know, for a teacher to learn this, it's, it can be kind of tough. So what's available to us? So, hey, check out our website. There, there'll be different, you know, PDFs you can download for lessons. You can check out our data. We'll freely share our data with you from our system. If you want to collaborate, you know, maybe you have an aquaponic or hydroponic installation and we can do a challenge between schools. Uh, just any, again, anything that can try to make it fun for any any learner that wants to know more about vertical farming. Well, what I love about that is that the abundance mindset, and I see it sometimes on the podcasting side, like I'll have, I, I, we want to 
podcast production company, but I talk to other podcast producers because I just want to learn what's happening in the industry. And I get that feeling from all these conversations I've had on the podcast that with a lot of folks doing the same things, and in your case, teaching also, we need as much of this as possible to, in terms of actual companies doing this work and then the, the work that you're doing, educating people and training people and how to have success in these industries. And I, I think there's not enough of that going on right now. And, and I think this idea of just rising tide lifting all both is really inspiring to see. Yeah, one of the biggest constraints, at least in Pennsylvania, is that there is an aging workforce in agriculture in general. And that creates a lot of time constraints on employers, employees to be able to really have the time to share things out. And that's where that online platform, hey, if you can put a video online, I don't need to travel to your facility to give you professional development in X, Y, and Z. You just click the link, check it out. And if you have questions, you can shoot an email out. So that time constraint can really be diminished if you work a little bit smarter (laughs) in how you disseminate information. But again, a lot of farmers, you know, traditional farmers in particular, it's very hard to integrate certain types of technology into your giant fields. Whereas for us, it's, hey, check out this camera. I have our light set like this. This is the dissolved oxygen reading, our pH readings. All of that's on a dashboard in real time. So it's, it's a little bit different, a different learning process in a lot of ways for vertical farming. But it's one that everybody can learn from as we start to develop just different ways that we can see are more time-tested. And I think that's the other, the other piece of this is we're constantly evolving in this int- industry right now. So to say, oh, yep, this is the best X, Y, and Z, you kind of look at them and go, well, yes, it is. And then you look at your watch and you go, okay, six months later, is it still the best? Yeah, yeah. And that's the struggle right now, you know, especially with cost. You know, you want to buy the best. You want to buy something that works. But in six months, is it still going to be the best? And that's, that's a big question mark for a lot of farmers right now. Yeah, especially when it comes to tech and you think about like the basic programming you learn in, in college and then like anything you have to do tech related in the real world that you never really get to apply <laughs> or the stuff you learn there seems a bit dated by the time you get to actual the actual workforce and start implementing it because technology does change so quickly. So I can see how that could be a challenge for you guys. Yeah, we try to to do our best to stay ahead of things and stay as innovative as possible. It's just one of those, oh, wow, did you hear about this? Did you hear about that? And Yeah, shiny object. <laughs> uh, yes. And students, again, I... I'll share this story because they're all going to laugh when they come back in the fall. But one of my biggest hangups was TikTok. You know, no, you, no, you're not making a TikTok video in here. I don't know what that is. And, you know, I sound like an old person saying that, no, you will not do that in here. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> and then the pandemic hit and I joined TikTok and went, oh, wow, this is really funny. Like, this is, this is really entertaining. So even doing simple things like you could have students go in and make TikTok tutorials, just a 60-second, hey, really quick, this is how you do this, and share that out. Like that that wouldn't have been open open to me at all because I was very close-minded about certain things. And so even learning about different types of simple technology that everybody seems to be using can all be a possible platform to share information. Yeah, I'm also the same way because it, it must be like a just generational thing <laughs> in terms of the TikTok. But when you think about it, uh, my partner was showing me a video of someone the other day who was, uh, lived in the city, but was showing you creative ways to plant like seedlings in your apartment building. And he, but he was using all the effects of like that you do in TikTok, and it's you know 30 second videos. But I think uh, it just speaks to people's learning 
patterns and, and, and how they choose to learn. And, you know, like they say, some people are visual, audio, kinesthetic. And so there's different learning methodologies. And I think TikTok is just one of those. And then for this new generation, I think it's really eye-catching for them. And if it can educate them at the same time, then, then all the better. Got to play that alg algorithm, <laughs> right? You got to <laughs> don't click on the wrong thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's something you probably have to watch out for. So as you think about the program and, and how it's matured over the past few years, what are some of the, the challenges or, or some of the things you're looking forward to in terms of developing it further? So one of our challenges as a school has been exponential growth. Again, I don't want to blame COVID for everything, but we did experience a pretty big population spike because of COVID. And wanting to meet all of the needs of all of those learners that came to us just more unexpectedly, that's one of my biggest challenges is, you know, we do so many different field trips and so many different events with students, and we ask for their feedback. You know, what did you like? What didn't you like? And then to see that your population doubled in size. Of course, they bring people with varying viewpoints into the school. So it's one of those, okay, you know, how can we incorporate some of these just really cool ideas that people have into the system and how do we have space and room to do that? You know, we have, you know, high school biology wants to use our research and development lab for a lighting experiment. Okay, great. That's six weeks. Okay, well, elementary, you know, K through two, they want to do, you know, they want to hatch chickens and talk about alleles and, you know, the basics of genetics. Okay, we need a space for them. So there, we can do cameras, we can do technology to assist that, but eventually you start running out of space. And so for us, it's one of those, okay, we need, to, we need to figure out a way to combine some of these efforts and just scaffold that same type of learning process in an area because, you know, I got 1,200 biology students logging into my YouTube live stream about photosynthesis, and I don't have time to dress up like Albert <laughs> Einstein, but my coworker's behind me. She's all dressed up. She's wearing a giant banana costume because she's, she's talking about nutrients and potassium and bananas <laughs> with another class. So it... For us, it's more of, you know, how do we make sure that we meet the needs of all of our students? And then on top of that, we also work with community members, too. You know, so if you want to come in and participate, if you are you know, York City School District and you want to come in and attend a field trip, okay, how can we make space for you to do that, too? So it's a good problem to have, but it's still one of those challenges for us of how can we meet everybody's needs using, you know, 6,100 square feet. What's uh, something you've changed your mind about recently? Well, I mentioned TikTok. Can I still use TikTok as my <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> example? It just, yeah. I have a few students I owe some apologies to of, you know, put your phone away. You're not allowed to do that. And just, and now I'm going, oh man, they were probably doing something really funny. You know, they were trying to record something in the lab, which I would typically encourage. I just thought TikTok was bad yeah. from everything that you read. Or just opening it as an adult, you're just like, uh, okay, there's nothing here for me. <laughs> Moving on. And I'm curious about those media skills as well. And we can chat about this offline, but this, if there's any help you think that would be beneficial in terms of podcasting or just uh, things, just even the, the, the past episodes of the podcast, because I know that I focus on origin stories here. So, you know, for folks who aren't familiar, it's, it's, I'm really curious about how founders got started. And it's, that's why it's been primarily founders and CEOs, because I, I feel that they bring a different perspective to the conversation. And it lets and the feedback that I've gotten from listeners is that it helps them see that there's a wide variety of ways to get into the vertical farming world. And it's not one size fits all. Now we can definitely do a deep dive into <laughs> that particular area. Because again, it just 
it makes me smile. You know, even bringing people in for interviews because, you know, we're constantly hiring, it feels like, and, you know, they know all about it, but they've never done it before. And then you ask about their background and, you know, carpentry, herbology, you know, you, you have all of these people that have things that touch upon it, but they've never physically done it before. So it's just, it's always fascinating to me, you know, everybody that really feels connected to farming and really feels like it brings them a lot of joy, even as a secondary occupation of, I've worked 25 years doing X, Y, and Z, and I self-reflected after the pandemic hit, and what I really like to do is grow stuff. And how can I do that? Vertical farming, that's how you can do it. So and again, you can do it in your apartment in New York City. You could do it on your you know 3,000-acre farm. Yeah. At the end of the day, Sam, what keeps you engaged? What keeps you motivated? Because you've been teaching for a large part of your career, I would imagine. And then uh, you've seen this program from inception now and seen how it's matured and how it's changed the lives of, of your students. And I'm just curious for you personally, what's what do you get the most out of it? For me personally, it's still, and as weird as it sounds, it still is about the students and their reactions to things and how they just make me laugh. And it's across the board. You know, they, they come, even that student that swore because he was so overwhelmed and excited, this huge purple room full of plants and fish. And you're trying not to laugh because you know you have to, you know, address this this student. But it it's one of those heartwarming things. You know, I, I had another student play Kenny G for the koi fish <laughs> because we bought more koi fish and he wanted to make sure that he was introducing them to each other. Oh my God, that's funny. And, you know, you sit there and go, how did you think to do that? And how do you also know who Kenny G is? Yeah. You know, so those funny things that happen all the time, working with students, you know, even working with them online, you know, there there's a lot of hilarity that goes on in an interaction in a Zoom room as well. Those things just, no matter what, you know, our power goes out and everything goes down and you just are tearing your hair out. And then you just sit back and go, okay, well, it's all worth it. Because at the end of the day, I know something really hilarious is probably going to happen this <laughs> week with a kid. I just need to get through this problem and get through to next week when we can have kids in. Well, what's so fascinating about that is the creativity of like young minds. And if you catch them at the right time, there's no barriers and, and some of it comes out in the form of curse words but it's just really a form of bottled up excitement you know that's manifesting sometimes in curses sometimes in in kenny g <laughs> <laughs> and so it's but it's it's so exciting to see that in youth like that exuberance that excitement and then they're carrying it in and then they're being creative about ideas as an adult i think sometimes we we sort of like forget the magic of, of our youth. And I think it's it's refreshing for us and exciting and, and hopeful to see that in folks that you're working with. Yeah, it's definitely a different environment where you're doing something that is so engaging that kids put their phones down because they care about what you're saying. They care about what it is you're doing. They believe in what it is that you're doing. And that to me just Yep, I'll get up. I will get up early. I'll get in early. I'll work late because it, it makes it all worth it. And I think I may have retitled this episode from Kenny G to Koi Fish. <laughs> <laughs> and I bet the student that did that, he's now at Messiah College. Okay. I will actually bet that he listens to this podcast <laughs> and he's probably going to message me and go, you shared that story. 
<laughs> like I still will share that story forever. It was, it was a fantastic day. Yeah, that's a great story. I'm, I'm glad that came out. Yeah. Well, Sam, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast. I'm always fascinated to just continue learning. And it's one of the reasons I, I started the show just because I was just naturally curious, but I wanted to make sure I was bringing my listeners along the journey as well. So as I learn, they learn at the same time. And there's so many different channels and roads that go down when it comes to vertical farming. And then I think the work that you're doing is super important, um, just admirable in terms of like what you and the team have been able to put together there. And so I, pl I applaud you on your efforts. I think it's an, it's an amazing resource and I'm glad that we're able to share this to a wider audience. Thank you so much, Harry. I, I really appreciated your time having me on today and, and also to all of your listeners because you know, I, I know for me personally, it's been a huge help to be able to listen to different contributors to this you know, ever-changing environment. So it, it's, been, it's been an interesting road, and I'm sure it's going to continue to be. So I, I definitely appreciate you having me on. So if folks want to learn more about the program or connect with you and the team, what's, where's the best place to send them? Oh, so if they go to AgWorks at CCA, our website is probably the best avenue to go about reaching out. There, At the very top, it says to schedule a tour. We do offer tours in person, but we are in Harrisburg. So the best probably avenue for 99% of your listeners is to, to sign up for a tour, but to request a virtual tour. I'm starting to build a, a, a I should have a, one of those maps with the pushpins in it of all the, the people I've spoken to because I keep saying yes. And when I'm in town, I'll come for a tour, I'll come for a tour, and I'll definitely have Harrisburg <laughs> listed there as well. <laughs> we would love to yeah, have you. <laughs> that'd be fascinating. All right, we'll make sure all those links are provided in the show notes. And make sure, if, if you haven't already, send me the YouTube channel you mentioned as well. Oh, yeah, yep, I'll definitely send that over to you. And uh, thanks again for taking the time to come on. Hey, no, thank you again, Harry. I'll, I'll send that to you as soon as we're done today. So thanks again to Samantha for sharing the wonderful work she's doing with the team at CCA. Truly, truly inspiring stuff. And I hope you'll take the time after listening to this episode to check out all the links in our show notes and see if there's a way to learn more or maybe even partner with CCA. I'm truly inspired after having that conversation with Samantha. And we're looking ourselves for opportunities to work with her and her team as well. Thanks again to Cultivated for being a fantastic sponsor. If you're looking into a vertical farm and don't know where to start or which technology would suit your needs, make sure you reach out to them today. The best part about it is that their service is free and it's because they work on behalf of their partners. So head on over to cultivated.com. Just leave off the last E. That's C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com. Fullcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. Sign up for a free podcast brainstorm at fullcast.co forward slash VFP15. Another reminder, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. We'll be sure to read those out on future episodes. Until we meet again, here's to your health. Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which includes any links mentioned in the episode, as well as a full show transcription, visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There, you can sign up for our email list to be notified when new episodes are published.